0: hello luke
1: (laughs) right hello michael
0: you know these things with podcasting gears you got to press the record button sometimes we forget to do that but it's way better than back in the old days when for example we started interviews and forgot to turn microphones on
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I still maintain we should have a checklist uh ready to go but that would require some force order organization i guess which um I feel I'm lacking in, but probably shouldn't admit that on air. (laughs) Hopefully no clients are listening. Uh, What's going on
0: with you? What's news? I think you should use the word checklist. Uh, It's almost like Uh, you need to uh, plug the new NTIA campaign, Check, 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 which uh, is probably going live as we speak. Um, So uh, I'm trying to multitask and sign off on the video asset, which has had people like Matt O'Kine, Kenny Graham... um, Chase Kojima, a whole bunch of uh, Sydney hospos, Mike Chiem, Mike Nikolian. It's a national campaign, but uh, restrictions being what they are down in Victoria, you have to shoot in Sydney. Uh, Mm. And it's designed to continue consumer confidence, I suppose. It's been good actually just watching um, Sydney start to recover. You know, there's a bit of warm air. There's a bit of, you know, uh, numbers are low and speaking to operators there, Saying to see growth in trading revenues, so in the, in these highly affected areas, of course. So yeah, that's what I've been uh, up to.
1: Nice, yeah. I, I guess anecdotally, I've spoken to I going to, speak to you today someone who runs a very prominent hospitality group in Sydney, who said they had their best week yet since the pandemic uh, last week, which probably doesn't go like that's probably not too surprising to a lot of people but um you know just considering weather and case numbers but it is good to see that the market is responding as you would hope it would um that's probably the, the number one thing and also i think the number of businesses that i've spoken to in the last couple of weeks who are no longer eligible for job keeper um is significant so there's a lot of a lot of Operators out there who are experiencing some pretty good turnover, you know. So it's not all doom and gloom, and Melbourne coming back online. I feel like that's happening. Um, well, we're seeing that now, anyway.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Getting getting off JobKeeper is the goal, isn't it? Really. Like that's um, uh, that's something we should be aspiring to for all our businesses. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. And uh, so today, Stu Gregor. Um, Man, not um, unknown to you as well, but um, I guess we did some work with him recently, which was which was great, and uh, they've just launched a new bar, obviously a brand that I've – well, not obviously – it is a brand that i personally admired for a very long time and i was yes I it's probably the same for you right
0: yeah hard not to it's uh one of aussie's um uh, best exports isn't it in this sector you'd think it's hard to think of any, any, anything else um in, in modern drinking terms that uh comes close i think um in terms of its global reputation and prominence and mm. visibility, I think, um, and so known stew for. Well, I remember, I remember um, running into him when we were launching Timeout. I think he gave us a hand. I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, like uh, he's a he's a he's a bloody colourful character. So oh, yeah, <laughs> we should allow that colour to show. I'm sure you'll say some incendiary things. <laughs> yeah, I'd say
1: so. Uh, I, yeah, look, we won't go into it, into it too much, but um, the launch of their new bar was obviously pretty um, pretty well-advertised, well-talked about. It's been in a phenomenal space uh, and I think quite different to a lot of the iterations that have been out there in terms of uh, product-led operations. So um, obviously we're not just going to talk about that. It is fairly timely, but we'll talk about um, four pillars, its growth, the story, sale. Um, or, or part acquisition by Lyons. So we might as well get to suck into Stu because I'm sure he's going to talk for a bit. Let's get him on. It's
2: a beautiful bar you've built here, Stu. Uh, thank you, it is. Yeah, we're at Eileen's Bar here in Surrey Hills. So, yeah, we've been open probably eight weeks now, I'd reckon. So we open the second week of June. Um, it is a beautiful bar. One day when it gets to capacity and it's buzzing and humming, it'll be, it'll be great fun. But, look, we're lucky that we've been able to open at, some limited capacity and we can continue to do so as long as people uh you know check 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 every time they come in how about that boom within 90 seconds um and it's a lip. Um, yeah so it's going really it's, it's it's going as well as can be expected and still it's, it's serving its purpose which is just getting Getting the masterclass area going, so we're teaching people a lot about gin and four pillars and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, we're done some cocktail classes with Jimmy Irvine. So yeah, it's going. It's, it's certainly going as well as can possibly be expected given the circumstances.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, we, we obviously wanted to. We've been wanting to get you on for a long time. We've been talking about it. We haven't been telling you about that, but yeah. um, finally got you. Uh, got you here. And there's a couple of things that we want to talk about. Uh, obviously, the story of the gin, the story of the bar. But we thought it'd be a good idea to just start with yourself and how you actually ended up
2: here today correct it's been a
1: pretty long journey
2: yeah it was it was six kilometers we just measured (laughs) this morning i walked all the way here from the beach this morning yeah no look it's so my journey starts i suppose you know i was actually a journo you know straight out of school so that's i i I didn't quite get into the university course i wanted to um on leaving school so i did five years at news corp as a journo and that started me on this whole communications thing and then um went to you know, did the two did the backpacking around the around europe and everything else and found myself living actually in, in the northern part of burgundy you know in in wine and it's kind of triggered a bit of a love of an interest in wine and then i went down to live in the barossa for a couple of years where i studied wine at roseworthy college the old university of adelaide right. when it was still in roseworthy when it's still up in in um in the barossa valley it's actually where i met the woman who then became my <laughs> much later became my wife and is still the mother of my children and still my wife believe it or not <laughs> and um yeah, I studied wine there, wine marketing there, and worked for a little winery called Rockford for a couple of years. You know, I was I was working at Rockford while I was studying, and I got a I got a whole lot of lessons that I probably didn't realize at the time from from Robert and those guys about you know how to how to how to how to really own your, your, your customers and how to love your customers. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff I learned at Rockford that I, I reckon 10 years later or 20 years later, I was realising that I was putting in place a lot of that stuff about, you know, really rewarding and and and, and being really lovely to your best customers all the time. Yeah. Um, then I went down to Melbourne for 10 years where I worked at Mildara Blast doing wine education and ended up finally getting a you know a proper marketing degree at Melbourne Business School and started up a little company called Liquid Ideas so that was a PR business that was basically set up to try to help wineries that was all it was at the time try to build build some sort of communication ideas around wine wineries you know before influencers existed we we thought well let's try it we actually had a tagline maybe 15 years ago that said influence the influencers right, so we were way ahead <laughs> of the influencer trend if you don't That's mind we started it. And that's how we um, that's how we got going, and that started that business started in Melbourne. And then five years after that business started, which was two thousand, so in two thousand five, I moved back to Sydney. Liquid Ideas, you know, I bought out my original partner in that business, a girl called Angie Bradbury, still a huge talent, and still very involved in the food and wine business in in, in Victoria. Um, and Liquid Ideas kept going here, and Cameron and I, uh, Cameron McKenzie, who's you know the distiller and co-founder of, of Four Pillars, Cameron and I have been making wine since the early two thousands together um and then by about 2010 or 11 we was thinking what's next and gin we, we drank a lot of gin we were very fortunate to meet a guy called matt jones who became the sort of the brand and strategy guy who i know you two guys know pretty well yeah. um we met matt and probably in 2012 and then 2013 you know we started we we, we decided if we were going to do the four pillars thing we should do it properly we should raise some money and we shouldn't just do it as a bit of a hobby on the side while we i kept my job at liquid ideas for a while cameron di- dived straight in you know, to be the distiller, you know, and, and the production guy down in the Yarra Valley. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is, 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 is history. And then we, we always wanted to have some sort of presence in Sydney because, you know, it was, um, it was always going to be my home base. And I always thought that we could do something great where we could have a a lab where we could teach, you know, we, we could do lots of really crazy things with drinks. We could, um, We'd have a great place where we could do masterclasses and we could just have a really beautiful bar where we could sit and drink and have fun. Did we expect to open it in the middle of a pandemic? No. Would we have spent this much money <laughs> building it if we'd known that you know, that the best we could do is maybe a third capacity? No. But it's still here. It's beautiful and one day... You know, we'll all be back again, and hospitality will be back to some some new normal. So that's the potted history of me, I suppose. There's
1: a few things I would like to dive into out mm-hmm. of that. Firstly, dive away. What was the wine that you were making? I didn't know that uh, part of your background.
2: Two, <coughs> we had two little brands. We had Donny. We had Donnie Goodmack, so Kate Goodman, who's a very esteemed, uh, pretty pretty great winemaker. Kate Goodman, myself, and uh, Cameron had a, had a wine brand called Donnie Goodmack. We had tiny quantities, and we sold it to mates and a few restaurants right. and that, Um so we did that out of the Yarra and the Pyrenees for a few years, and then we um, then we started a, a, a brand that still exists today called the Dirty Three, which was again was Cameron myself and a guy called Marcus Satchel, who's a genius winemaker down in Gippsland in South Gippsland, and Satchy's still making some of the. Well, I reckon he's making the best Pinot in South Gippsland. So right. Dirty Three's still around. He's got a great little cellar door now um, in Inverloch. Uh, he's a he's a genius bloke, crazy musician and brilliant winemaker. Mm. So. Thirty-three wines are still around, and Cameron and I basically sold our third each of, back to Sachi at an enormous profit, which amounted to exactly zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so we gave him our third each <laughs> over a couple of pinos and some duck, I think, at a, cho- at a cheap Chinese restaurant. <laughs> they go well together. So <laughs> we're we're all, the, where all the big deals are done. You know, Pacific House in Richmond.
1: <laughs> yeah, has it been a big part of your life to kind of have a few different things happening at the same time? You, do you find that you've got a you, 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 you're you regularly looking at things or do
2: you just like to have different um, outlets? I guess, I guess. I mean, you don't ever think that you're it's only when you're talking about it that you realise that, yeah, maybe maybe I, I do need a few things on the go to keep myself occupied. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this whole new challenge. Like I'm loving the whole, um, you know, it's been a long time since I've been carrying plates and, you know, mm-hmm. pulling down stools at the start of service and all that sort of stuff. So this is great fun. And also I'm now doing a bit of distilling, you know, which I was never doing. You know, Cameron was always doing that. But when we, when we set up Sydney, it was like, well, we're going to need someone who can actually Use Eileen You know Use the still here And and, and one of the guys Wes He's a genius Young talented guy Was coming up from Hillsville And he needed someone To do it with him I said mate I'll I'll give it a crack. So I'm loving it. We're making gin tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, I think I've always wanted new challenges. I get rest. I think I just get restless. And yeah. I just think I get... You know, if you go right back... Someone was asking the other day about, you know, school. And, you know, you get that report card, always always naughty, doesn't concentrate in class, always chatting. I had always those sorts of things. I think I was always looking for something else to do just to... I probably would have been diagnosed with ADHD if it had been now. Um, and... Um, yeah, I guess I guess there's always – it's always fun to have something interesting and different on the go. It keeps you occupied and it keeps your mind alert, yeah. I suppose. I would never have worked in a cor- corporate – I don't think I would have ever been much good in a big company. In fact, I wasn't very good in a big company because I did work for Mildara Blast for four years back in the 90s. And, yeah, I'm not a – I don't think I could have done the single job. Not that, it's just not my – just not the way my brain works, doing the single job for a long time in a big company. Mm. Yeah, not my jam.
1: Well, getting into that communications space and being able to work on multiple
2: different brands at the same time must, you know, yeah. be, a, be a by-product of that. Yeah, I think... I'm. A th- I, 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 there's absolutely no... I've been incredibly lucky with the way my career, career has ended up going. I mean, I'm, you know, now I'm 50, 51. Yeah, uh, you make some good choices. Some things get handed to you. You make... You, you, you get... You, you get some luck and then and you work reasonably hard and you know it's 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 you go, i've got to admit i'm bloody lucky now to be sitting in this bar thinking well this is my job is you know to come in here and talk about gin and make some great drinks and just have a whole heap of fun even in a difficult situation i mean you know the right now the guys in heelsville are having doing it really tough it's really really hard in victoria at the moment mm-hmm. so i'm hoping that 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 we get some better news over the next week or two but um yeah we're lucky here in sydney at the moment. Touch wood.
0: Uh, so, what are the shit choices you made? <laughs> well, there's plenty of them. Um, many of them in you know in in
2: early twenties personal life. <laughs> um, you know, let's just call them poor choices yeah, right. or misjudged choices rather than necessarily shit choices. But there are, um, you know, I think even in the in the context of liquid ideas, I think we uh, of four pillars. You know, we've you know we've appointed a lot of people. Uh, to represent the brand in in international markets in particular that we've just dived in because we were so excited. Oh, my God, someone wants to sell our gin in Singapore. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Without us having enough commercial now, or in fact us having enough experience in export markets to understand what that means. Um, So we've made a lot of poor choices and they were – got to take responsibility for it. They were ostensibly all mine Mm. around who represents us in international markets and there's only – Australia is the only country in the world where we haven't had to change our partner um, who sells us, and I think one of the things we underestimated is that the person who sells you is the face of your brand in that market, and it's and we just thought, oh, they just sales guys, they'll just go and we'll do all the brand stuff here. It's it's you've got to be much closer than that, and you've got to have a you've got to do a lot more due diligence than I think we may have done uh, at the start. So that's a that's a succession of poor choices mm. you know that we've been unpicking for the best part of three or four years but I think we're in a good good spot with all of that now and I mean you make you make all manner of bad bad decisions but I think I think in order to be moderately successful in business you've got to you've got to be able to move on from them you can't dwell on on mistakes you can't dwell on poor decisions you know you just got to I think it's a bit of a sporting thing. I'm an obsessive sports fan and, you know, you've got to be able to understand, right, fuck. Oh, pardon me, you know, I missed that tackle or I threw that stupid pass and, you know, and, and the guy scored and now I've got to move on and fucking try to repair it, you know. Like I, like I can't sit there moping. Well, you missed that stupid putt or whatever it is and you, you can't sit there moping for hours, ruining what decision happened. Otherwise, you're just going to make more bad decisions, you know. It's going to replicate again and again. So, um Get over it and get on with it, and I think that's a that's a good thing that 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 has been imbued in this business. I reckon in Four Pillars is that if we we occasionally stuff up, you admit it, you, f- you face up, you man up, you say you've stuffed something up, and then you just get going again. Mm. And I think that's a um, yeah, that's the best thing to be
0: learned about mistakes is to move on from them. Mm. I ask a question because like it's one of those things where often you learn. More from there's more insights from the oh. mistakes you made than yeah. than the successes that you claim often or people see. Hundred percent. Yeah, so. we, we made a we made a fairly substantial stuff up on a label
2: not six weeks ago. <laughs> that was where <laughs> we had to we had to recall a whole lot of product because um, we hadn't trademarked the, the the brand name. You know, and that caused some angst across the business. But you know, yeah.
1: I am but, surprised, and this is a compliment. I'm really surprised that people. Uh, representation would be one of the mistakes you made just looking at the business here, mm-hmm. because you know my experience with your business is that you are meticulous with um, the people that you have representing yeah. your business, and you do such an incredible job in ensuring that they they kind of are the brand. It's
2: Definitely you the perception, I mean. anyway.
0: That's from yeah. an outside looking in, you go, yeah. well, they've nailed that."
2: Well, yeah. and it's also I think when you the, the closer you are to it, the easier it is, and you're also I think you've got a much better a much better sense of you know, we, we know this market well and we know the people in the market and it's not hard for us. You know, I've been hanging around booze for 25 years. So, you know, you, you, you know, a lot, of, you know, the good, you know, it's also an ability to call the right people to find out, you know, what, what's, what that person's like, or what, um, uh, would they fit in? You know, a lot of people who know me, we go, no, 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 you wouldn't want to go <laughs> that, that person's too serious. You know, you know, they're not going to be able to work with you. But, um, I think it's in markets that you don't know as well, yeah. um, that you make a lot of your mistakes. But the good thing is <clears throat> they, you can almost inoculate, but you can keep those mistakes isolated to those markets as well. You know, if, if, if I make a, <clears throat> a chronic mistake on who's representing us in Norway, I can fairly well, uh, um, I, I can hope that, not that I have, <laughs> but um, you can keep that isolated fairly much from the, your core market, which is still here.
1: Mm. You've got pretty good representation across Australia.
2: Yeah, look, we've got great people here. You know, we, we're talking about 60, 60 full-time employees now across the business. It's yeah, a reasonably right. sized business now. Um, and all of them, with the exception of one, are now based in Australia. I think we probably tried, you know, not to d- <laughs> Now you've got me dwelling on all the mistakes. <laughs> I think we did try to... We probably tried to overtake the world a little quicker than you probably would have. Um, we probably needed to maybe concentrate on trying to take over Australia and win Sydney and Melbourne you know I was I I think I just got seduced by the glamorous lifestyle and the travel and New York and London and Singapore and all that sort of stuff so yeah I think we're we realize now that the best place for us to win
0: and win well is in, in Australia yeah we had Paul Gaby on recently and he said something which has stuck with me which is when Luke you asked him about talent and the extent to which he picks it up and out of Australia and deposits it, and he said that uh, in what I think is right that it's a ambassadorial role that that then plays like you know, the hospitality talent obviously out of Australia going on and doing other things in other markets and mm. and uh, as a former frequent flyer, uh, mm. I can. Remember being in Barcelona, in London, um, Singapore, obviously, and seeing Four Pillars behind the bar, and mm-hmm. it's had that kind of ambassadorial piece for Australia, almost. You know, I, in the same way, I think that some of the hospitality talent have. Mm. Like, and look, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Stu, was you know about the sort of internationalisation of the brand, and you know, I don't know, I can't remember the detail, but I think you may have partnered with Qantas and other things right. like that. Yep, like, you did. know, these sort of, and obviously, you've got such a good PR brain or marketing brain however you want to put it like talk us a little bit through that and you know the, the expansion of the brand globally you can leave out the mistakes this time <laughs> and just focus on the genius the pure genius <laughs> that you <laughs> have <laughs> made everything will be retrofitted to be
2: genius after t- uh, you know after time anyway but look it's it was really important part and it still is a really important part of of, of what we wanted to do whether it was personally or professionally was to take an Aussie brand. Um, and take it to the world and we did you know the, the partnership we did with Qantas which was probably four years five years ago now which was to create a, a, a gin with with Neil Perry and his group at Rock Pool with Qantas that went into all the Qantas lounges Qantas gave us great PR across you know we were in flight video and remember all those sorts of things that used to happen yeah. the magazine that used to sit in the back of the, the back of the chair um, we went into all their first class lounges around the world so it was really important for us for because I don't, think, for for us to have a brand that we, we never just wanted to be Australia's best gin that was not um, that was not a triumph in our eyes. We wanted to be one of the world's best gins that happened to come from Australia and signal all those great things about Australia. So, um, for us, when we won that IWSC, you know, we won that big trophy at the end of last year, which was the you know international gin producer of the year. That to us was sort of, um, I, I guess that for us said yeah we might have achieved a, f- a, f- a few of of the goals that we had set out. It was affirmation, I suppose, of, of some of the things that we'd set out to do. And it's great fun. You know, I, I think it's helped us back in Australia because Australians are really proud of, of brands that succeed overseas. And I think they love, I mean, you, you know, I, I, the, the, some of the, the most communication I get are from mates and friends who are travelling prior to 2020, who go, I can't believe it, I'm in New York and he. I've, I've just walked into this cool bar and I've seen a bottle of Four Pillars. I've just walked into a bar in Berlin or London or whatever else. And they love that. And it, it makes them feel confident that they're making the right choice at home. Mm-hmm. Shit, you know, if I'm drinking Four Pillars in at home in Coogee... And it's in the fanciest bar in new york that i stumble into well then, then, then it is legit it is cool it is it is that that quality that and i think that's really helped us um it's helped the brand at home and i think um i don't think the world expected the world's best gin to be coming from australia at any time like not now not never um and you know we're I don't know by what measure you say whether we're we're certainly amongst the world's best gin distilleries now. You know, by by whatever measure it happens to be, whether it's awards or or, or accolades or anything else, you'd have to st- say that we are one of the world's best gin distilleries. Um, and I don't think anyone really thought that would come from Australia. And things like this, you know, I had I've, I've had a quite a few of the CEOs of the larger spirits companies come through here over the last few weeks. And they tell us, you know, they're good go- you know, f- good friends and everything else, and they say, you know, this is one of the best executions I've ever seen for a brand yeah. that, that full stop, you know, for, and these are guys who, who, who have worked globally on very big spirits brands and that's what we've got to do. You know, we've got to continue to set a global standard for what we're doing um, because we, we're massive fans. We I believe Australia can make the best of anything mm. uh, if we put our
0: minds to it. Just on that, the and when you said this, we're sitting uh, at the laboratory in Surrey Hills right now, and you're referring to the space we're in, yep. no doubt. how involved were you in it, and when I say you, the founders, or the the key guys? Every, every single step of the way. The detail. Yeah, yep. Every yeah. step of the way. I mean,
2: Matt Jones had the creative vision around what it should look and feel like, Um I probably only really came in at the at end, the, you know, we got some great designers and, I mean, Leah McKenso, Cameron's wife, basically ran the entire project. So, that the, you know, this is really still a, a family business. I mean, Matt's wife, Rebecca, runs all of our digital and, and you know, all the digital comms and she runs the website and um, my wife runs all the PR and, you know, all that sort of stuff through through Liquid Ideas and Leah, Cameron's wife, who's been working in the building and, and architectural industries forever, have ran the whole project here... Um, I really just seagulled in to use a football parlance. You know, I just sat on the wing waiting waiting to get past the ball and basically I only came in when it was pretty much done. And my job has been to sort of try to build the hospitality team and build the program around masterclasses and and how we're going to be serving the drinks and the food and working with Matt Wilkinson on food and working with Jimmy Irvine on the drinks and then trying to get the right hospo people around it. Yeah. You know, frankly, I haven't done that sort of stuff for 25 years. You know, the last time I, I pulled, pulled beer was in the... And poured wine and made drinks was in the nineties, so I'm having a hugely fun time mm. building this team. But I mean, I, again, I've just got great people around me, so it's not that hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: What's the been the biggest challenge that you've experienced
2: here? The biggest challenge in Sydney
1: in this site, specifically in
2: this site in Surrey Hills in the
1: hospitality. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> oh look, you know, the, 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 it's been a bit of a challenge. You know, we, it's it actually hasn't been as much of a challenge as I've thought about getting people. You know, we we. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you one particular challenge You know we had a great girl ready to come up From Black Pearl you know we were really tr- Trying to put an effort into getting some really great Yeah and she came up To New South Wales and ended up being sent Back because of the bo- You know this is literally right in the middle of the border What the hell are we doing with Victorians and everything else And she got sim- twice denied Um so that was A that was a bit of a setback because we had her earmarked To be one of our really senior bartenders yeah. Here and helping make great drinks with Jimmy Um You know, anyone who's ever applied for a licence in New South Wales knows that applying for three licences in one venue because we've got a producer licence, a small bar licence and an off-premise licence knows that that is not Mm. going to be easy. I mean, I know that there are small moves to making that a simpler... um, But it's certainly when we started that application process, it would have been... August last year and that takes a good four or five months to get it you know to get those three licenses in place yeah I can, yeah. S-
0: I can see the red tinge around this place yeah yeah
2: <laughs> there's there's red tape everywhere um and and then the, the, I mean the greatest challenge is the challenge that everyone in any business is facing at the moment in Australia which is just complete and utter uncertainty you don't know yeah. whether you're going to be open next week you don't know whether you're going to be able to put w- where you should be putting people you don't know what Bookings you can and can't accept because you're just, just a still a little bit confused about. Yeah. Well, if I have a six here and a four there, does that constitute a ten, and therefore I can't have another ten? Um, and if there's two tables of six and they kind of know each other, but they can't um, they can't move between the two tables, is that okay? Because that's really a twelve. Um, and <clears throat> you know, the greatest challenge that Four Pillars has at the moment is what's going on in Victoria because that's a real challenge. You know, our, our heart and soul for us. As a distillery, but also as a hospitality business, has always been Victoria. You know, it's always been Hillsville and the Yarra mm. and Melbourne. Um, so that's really hard for us because we had a program planned where we were going to have people up from the distillery to host the masterclasses and come up and yeah, we really wanted to bring some of that character and culture of Victoria up here, and we haven't been able to do that. So, mm. um, but but these are not exceptional challenges that are, that are exclusively faced by us. These are being faced by every business in Australia today. You know and. As I said, you know, we're lucky that we're open and making drinks and that tonight there'll be you know, 40, 50 people coming in here and having drinks. That's not happening in Melbourne tonight. Mm.
1: To go back a little bit on the to the in to the, i guess the origin story hmm. and then just come forward to to the growth topic on that so it's a little bit of a convoluted question but yeah. um what was the do you remember the first conversation like who, who was the first person to say you know what we should make gin where, where did that happen
2: well I can, start? <clears throat> my 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 recollection and it may or may not be um, is is I can't exactly remember what it was. It was yeah you know, there's a bar called Beer Deluxe in uh, at Feder- Federation Square, Square. Yeah. right? Con Christopoulos' brother used to um, run it. And I was sitting there with Cameron and Kate Goodman, right, who was our third partner when we were making gin. At the, uh, uh, she was just a mate of ours. She was uh, the winemaker at Punt Road at the time. And we were drinking gin. We'd ordered Tanqueray 10 gin and tonics. <clears throat> and we went up, asked for the posh gin, and then they put a gun crappy tonic in it (laughs) came back to the table and i remember us just saying yeah you know the world needs good tonic you know we should make good tonic you know like this is before we anyone had ever heard of fever tree this is probably this is probably 10 years ago right you know um yeah why wouldn't we make tonic i mean how do you make tonic i mean it's just a soft drink you know it couldn't be too hard and then literally two or three days later cameron and i were talking and we're like, you yeah, know, we're not going to make tonic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to make tonic. Tonic, <laughs> you know, we're not in the business of soft drinks. What if we made gin? And it was literally, it was no more complicated than that. I'm like, well, I don't really know how to make gin. And he's like, well, you know, I could, I could give it a crack because I think he was, he'd started working with Rob Dolan at the time, and he said we got a bit of space in the lab, and I could probably distill a few things. And I've always been interested in that because Cameron was always interested in like you know, craft beer and. You know, he's always been really interested in the production side of things and making Make- stuff. Mm. But he'd always, a bit like me, he'd always been in that. He'd always been in a sort of sales role or a marketing role. But he'd always ended up working with the guys in production. I think he always secretly wanted to be the winemaker or the distiller, and so he just grasped onto it. And I mean, the, the credit is his. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I helped him a little bit, in, oh well, let's get, get, get some money together because yep. you know neither both of us had just had regular jobs and let's get a few investors and let's i think if we're going to do this we're going to need to do it properly with like a proper brand and marketing and all that sort of stuff so that's where the that's where the 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 good fortune of finding matt came along um but without cameron making great gin from the go like we really were lucky that we didn't launch with a gin that was just blur you know a bit mere, you know Mm. Uh, we, we launched with a gin that that you know, one double gold in its first ever showing in San Francisco that, that, that just went out into the market. And people, whether they were retailers or punters or people who weren't even in the gin, weren't into gin, said, Shit, that stuff's awesome. Like, that's a really, really good gin. So that's, um, that was the, you know, and then, and then, so that's, that's, that's the genesis. It was, I'm going to call it, let's, I, I've never, I've never publicly given the credit, but I'm going to credit Beer Deluxe. Yeah, right. um, in, Fed uh, in Fed Square so it's still there it yeah, no, it's no, not yeah. open now yeah, but so it's still there so yeah.
1: the um, next I guess part of that question and, and you you got to it well can ha, ha, if you look back how can can you separate the brand from the product in relation to the rapid success do you think because the, the I think the Four Pillars is recognised widely for its brand its marketing has always been yep. exceptional but you know the products
2: always got to be there to support yep. it. Like, can you can you separate the no, a, no, a portion? You, you cannot. They no. are one and the same. And this right. is one of the this is the this is the key thing. You know, we get asked a lot about what's the secret to your success, or what, you know, I'm launching a gin brand. How can I make my gin brand as good as Four Pillars or, or whatever? And it, you you have to look at. And this is one thing I suppose I've learned from 20 years running a marketing and PR business with also a, a, a production focus. And that is that that. Your marketing mix is everything. You know, if you go back to those basic Ps, you know the Ps of product, price, promotion, people, purpose. I think there's seven Ps these days, and this probably got drilled into me when I was studying in the late '90s. You know, doing a marketing masters back back in the day, is that they they all you have to be outstanding at all of them, right? You cannot, and this is one of the one of the failings of some some people who are setting up distilleries at the moment, or, or breweries, or any other businesses, is that they they can be really great at at two or three of these peas, but not excellent at all of them. You have to be excellent at all of them. So our product, the, 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 the outstanding nature of our product, right, the brilliance of the gins themselves has to be matched by the brilliance of our execution in a bar, by the brilliance of our website, by the brilliance of our the, the, our people, that the way we're represented, by the brilliance of our promotional and PR calendar, by the way we do events you know when four pillars does a a, a gin when you when used to do gin pig events or when we used to do dinners or when we those events had to be better than anyone else's events because anytime anyone came across four pillars whether it was just having a gin and tonic or whether it was meeting the um the founder or whether it was meeting a, 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 an events person or whether it was doing a, a a takeover at a bar somewhere in in norway that they had to be world class they had to be best of category. And you can't separate them. And one of the one of the if, if I were ever to be a marketing lecturer or whatever, as if that's going to ever happen. But you know, you got to tell people that you can't just concentrate on one or two areas of expertise. You can't just concentrate on distribution or or just concentrate on product. And think by making gold medal winning, you know, the wine industry has fallen into this trap a few times. Oh, we we just win all these trophies and we just expect people will come to us. So, you know, people need a lot more than that. Um, people's expectations. The world doesn't need another brand of anything frankly you know it doesn't need another brand of gin another brand of wine or beer or anything else but what it does need is something that's better than what currently exists right you know better gin that's promoted better that does better executions and better bars and better activations and better everything so that's what the world does need um no one frankly no one was sitting in a bar seven years ago in anywhere in Sydney or elsewhere, thinking to themselves, right? We really need an Aussie gin just to make that back bar complete. You know, there was not, there was, there was, there was no, there was no market research that that popped up suggesting that if we created a um, a black and copper labelled Australian gin out of a well known wine region made by three bald blokes, that that would just take off. That's bullshit. <laughs> that was never going to happen. F- for me, I, I can't see. It's really it's not complicated like marketing and business building and brand building and and creating um, product it, it's not that complicated. What's hard is doing it incredibly well, consistently and relentlessly. Mm. A lot of people get a bit bored or they or they rest on their laurels and you know there's there's 300 plus distilleries in Australia today. there were probably 20 when we started. Mm. Right now if we we're, and, and we're the and we've got the big old X on our back, right? Everyone looks at four pillars and goes, Right, we're either either we wanna take market share from them, or we wanna emulate them, or we wanna copy them, or we just wanna Kill, you know, just b- break them. Like, you know, so we know that if we don't continually get better and continually create new gins that are better than those that already exist, like the olive leaf gin that we just released in the last couple of weeks, or that we create a bar that is better than any bar that anyone else has created in the in the category, you know, we we, we just got to keep. You've got to be restlessly continuing to do that sort of stuff. And you, you see the great brands, the brands that have longevity and excellence at their at their heart, and that's then they never stop doing really interesting amazing creative um envelope pushing sort of things i mean if you look at the louis vuitton you know you look at some of those great brands that's where we get a lot of pointers from is you know we don't necessarily look at what wine brand x is doing or gin brand y is doing but we might look at other categories and say what are other great brands Mm. doing what are they what makes asop such an incredible brand Mm. what makes you know Louis Vuitton such an amazing brand and sometimes it's 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 doing things that are a bit unpredictable sometimes it's doing collaborations with people that are unexpected no one you know we 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 I mean we no one thought oh let's make collaborative gins with other distilleries that just wasn't really a thing and we just thought why not that would be great fun let's go and make it with our the best white the best distillery in Sweden let's make it with the best distillery in Japan you know because it keeps um people Interested and it it pushes us to make things better. So, you know, I love I love doing things that are, that are um, a bit unexpected as well. You've got to keep a little bit of, you know, you've you got to keep a little bit of variety and excitement in a brand. People just don't want a brand that oh god they're just rolling out the same shit they did last year. Yeah, um, boring. You know, change you know change up the bloody Shiraz label and get someone a graffiti artist to do a label for us. You know, you know keep keep shit fresh.
1: How how um, how much of a game changer for you was
2: bloody Shiraz? Um, significant. Yeah. I mean, we made it as a bit of a lark in 2015. You know, the, you know, the story goes that we borrowed or appropriated or stole 250 kilos of Shiraz from Rob Dolan and just poured gin over the top of it, thinking that we might make some kind of gin liqueur because we didn't like slow gin, but we kind of like Shiraz and, you know, let's see how that goes. And I mean next year it could be the biggest the biggest single skew that we have you know it, it, it's 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 rocketed to a point now where we we make um, we buy more shiraz than any winery in the yarra valley what yeah like 120 ton more than 120 ton of shiraz and we started this with 250 kilos of shiraz so we're now a a big Funnily enough, we're a big player. We're a bigger player in the wine industry or the grape growing industry as gin distillers than we ever were as (laughs) winemakers. We we never did crush more than five ton of Shiraz when we were making wine. Now we're doing one hundred and twenty plus ton of Shiraz uh, from the Yarra, from Yay, from Macedon. You know, it's a it's a it's a big deal now, and it's you know it's just been. Ranged at Waitrose, a huge day for us. You know, it was literally only a couple of weeks ago when we, we ranged in 200-plus Waitrose stores across the UK with Bloody wow. Shiraz Gin. That's the first one they took. Um, and, you know, there might be some other big um, supermarket brands in the – in supermarket groups in the UK taking it on. And, and you know, we can't really get the – the US don't seem to quite understand Bloody Gin, but the but the um, but the Poms are loving it.
0: Yeah. Is that because you're like the, the – Brand the Australian Shiraz brand, you know, like from of yesteryear, like this kind of Australia being known for big Shirazes. Yeah, yeah, look, I think I
2: think the um, I think the the I think it's working with us in the UK because they're loving coloured gins at the moment, you know. And one of the things that we're very very pointedly saying is that you know this is a this is a Shiraz. This is not a fake. Colored gin. This is a gin that is simply rare, dry gin steeped in Shiraz grapes, and that's it. No fake coloring, no fake sugar, no, none of that sort of stuff. And I think they're kind of liking that. They quite like the slightly rude name, you know, bloody Shiraz gin. it's oh, so Australian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the juice is just delicious. Yeah. And it you know it doesn't hurt that we won the big award in the UK last year. So the UK is a big big upside for us at the moment. But I mean, what we're trying to do is reconcile all the lost market. In like for instance, travel retail. Yeah. yeah, that was our fastest growing part of our market, which was Sydney Airport, Melbourne Airport, Changi, you know, Hong yeah. Kong, um, big markets for spirits and craft spirits were really growing because you know those 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 duty free shops used to just be big brands and now they've, they and the last just in the last two or three years they were really yeah. all of them were trying to get cool cooler spirit brands in there and oh, we were going intense. really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. gee whiz, we, Sydney and Melbourne Airport were great for us, mm. and it's gone to zero. Like, actually zero. So, no matter how well we go in other areas, you know, at home, drinking and all that sort of stuff, it's it's pretty tough to make up the loss of that huge market.
1: What well, what was the initial uh, holding or production of bloody Shiraz? This is a pointed question because I used to struggle to get it. I used yeah. to message James France to say, you know, mm. c- can we get any? Because it was, it was a very hot commodity. Yeah. Was that just because it blew up so quickly or was that very clever marketing... No, hey,
2: don't give us that much credit. I was telling Seriously. everyone I was marketing <laughs> oh, because yeah, it,
1: was, it was like the <laughs> bottle that everyone wanted and you just couldn't get it anywhere. Yeah, I
2: mean, as I said, well, in 2015 we made literally a few hundred bottles, right? And we didn't even have a proper label on it and the story goes that, you know, my wife came up with a name when I was trying to come up with a fancy name for it re- referencing Bleeding the Colour and Sally just walked past and said, oh, it's just a bloody Shiraz gin um, and that's how it was named. Um, then 2016, you know, we made ten times more. You know, and, but that wasn't enough to satiate demand. And then a the year later we probably made five times more okay. thinking, well, that's got to be enough. And then the same thing happened. So the demand was just out, just, just so far ahead of supply mm. that you know, it took us three or four years to – because one of the things about it is that because it's a, a – <laughs> this is one of the reasons he's got out of wine. You know, it's a vintage-based product where you, know, you have to have signed an agreement to buy the grapes by now – for the next harvest, right? So you know we're we're doing contracts now with growers. You know we're saying right, well we'll buy ten ton of Shiraz off you for next year. He might only yield eight, let's say, but you know, but hopefully we get the ten. Demand has grown fifty percent more already, but you can't just walk down the street and say, "Hey mate, can you sell us fifty ton of Shiraz?" He goes, "Mate, I'm, I've been committed to that Shiraz for six months." So we would just make our best guesses at how much we thought we would need. Um, then we may get a little less than that. Um, and then it takes another it, – it's a cycle. It's this wine, you know, it's it, it's a cycle. So we've tried to catch up. So we had more in 2018 than we had in 2017. and 2019, we probably got a bit closer and we really started pushing it into the export markets. It was flying off the shelves in travel retail. So we actually ended up with a bit more of 2019 than we'd hoped because travel retail just dropped dead in March, like to, to zero. So we lost March, April, May, June of, of this year – zero sales so 2020 I reckon we'll have enough to last the year like you shouldn't have a problem finding it and that's the ideal situation for us is because even though people think that scarcity scarcity is a great marketing tool for a short period of time people will end up just getting pissed off and people end up just going elsewhere if they continually can't find something right so it works in a short period it works over the, the over the short to mid term. It does not work as a long term strategy unless you're selling something that's a, h- half a million bucks. Unless it's a, a Birkin handbag, you know, we make ten of them a year, but we're going to sell them for a million bucks or whatever. Um, we want people who love bloody Shiraz to be able to buy bloody mm-hmm. Shiraz. I mean, our business is to try to sell people stuff they like. <laughs> it's not to deny them <laughs> the opportunity of enjoying our gins. So we should be, I reckon. Um, but again, it's a bit of a guessing game. You know, we're guessing about the 2021 harvest right now. We're we're having those conversations now. How much do we reckon we'll need? How much Shiraz should we buy? What, what's going to happen with demand? Because oh, are, are people going to be flying again <laughs> next year? Are we going to get back into the travel retail? Is, this, is, is the world still going to be... Are the Poms really going to go for it or is this just a fad that they might go for six months? Are bars going to be open? Is there going to be any hospitality anywhere in the world next year? So, mate, it's a... It, I think... Mean, anyone who reckons that they're getting any form of business projections right now, yeah. they're just lucky.
0: Stu, what's your it is. Yeah. Um, perspective on non-alc uh, spirits? Yeah. Um,
2: it's it's it, it's a category that's not going to go away, and it's a category that is growing as we know at 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 warp speed at the moment. That and hard seltzers. Um Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm still trying to get my head around that one as well. Yeah, I don't mind um,
2: them, mate. They're good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I do know that the, those those who own half of my um, half of our business are bringing in white claw, and they're very excited about that at Lion. And I tasted them, and they're they're all right. They're good. I mean, that's it's 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 it's, it's so it's vodka, vodka soda, pretty yeah. much, with a little bit of lime. Um, non alks are going to grow. I mean, we, we've talked about them for a couple of years, about could you know, could a business like ours make non-alcoholic gin, and we're, we're just struggling to figure out how, frankly. We wanted to get the seed lip guy was actually coming out to Australia, and we wanted to have him at the distillery so we could actually talk to him about technically how it is that we could make this sort of stuff. We've looked at, um, we've looked at low alk options. Um, but then there's a bit of me that says, you know what, we've put all our eggs in the basket of making gin and gin is, for better or worse, an alcoholic product and we think that the drinks we make are reasonably moderate in alcohol content and if people drink them sensibly, which more Australians are at the moment, then maybe we should stick to what we do well. We're not seed lip or liars, you know, we're um,
0: we're four pillars. But yeah. it is going to – it's growing as a super category. Yeah and in terms of like just a related question you touched on it earlier in terms of the I guess the crowded state of the market in gin particularly now like in Australia um, is it going to get fuck who knows like is it going to get more crowded probably not for the next little while Um, but gin? yeah particularly
2: yeah it is Um, uh, look I think a lot of distilleries are going to a lot of particularly small distilleries who've set up in the last two or three years are going to find this this period really hard Mm. um, really tough and they're only now just realising how much tax they pay because, I mean, I think if they're like us, they might have come into this business not quite realising how punitive the excise regime is. I mean, I don't think we did our research quite as, as well as we might have. Um, they, they're they going to realise that, you know, I I feel like a lot of their customers, you know, a lot of the small bars I might have sold to or little bottle shops or little customers, you know, even, even, even locals who they might have sold to if they're a little distillery in... Southern Victoria, or West Australia, or South Australia, or whatever they might they might find that it's going to be tough the next six to twelve months. So I think, yeah, I don't think we'll have the huge exponential growth of distilleries that we had in in let's say twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, and those who exist today might find it pretty tough. Um, but but there is room, you know. I, I have to say, I've got to say, there is still headroom in this gin thing. Mate, I, I I still think gin has got a I, I, it's just one of those things. I, I, I fail to see how gin, if we execute it well and there's great brands, can't overtake vodka globally because it's a better drink. Mm. You know, the better drink should win. If we get the brands that, you know, and, 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 and all the brands, you know, the, the, the Hendrix and, and Bombay and the Roku, you know, the, the, the Japanese gin, the Roku gin is, is flying yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah. Um, so that's proof that there is still heads, head, headspace and headroom for great great gin businesses to, to, to prosper, you know, and you just look at even you just look at the M&A activity over the last six mm. months of aviation being sold for $600 million it's of Malfi crazy. being sold of monkey 47 being sold of, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of activity going on in, 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 in gin still. It's a, it's a bit of a kind of a, I'm going to make this term
1: up, but like a sleeper trend. We, we, I remember 2005 or six working for Fraser Short at Cargo. Yep. And we were trying to come up with what we are going to do on Thursday nights. And he came up with this idea of doing a gin club on a Thursday night. And we're right. like, no one drinks gin. Like, mm. everyone's, like, we were just smashing out vodka sodas, vodka, yep. whatever, Red Bulls. Um, but we pulled a sales mix across the entire Keystone group at that time. And gin was the number two selling outside of vodka, late night trade, mm. young kids, that kind of stuff was always going to be number one. But gin was like, Very close. And this is like 2006, 2007. And it's just continued to grow right throughout that time. So, you know, it's, it's kind of always been there as an extremely popular drink that maybe a lot of people didn't realise
2: until recently when it's really become, you know... Number one, hasn't it? Well, it's just it's, it, it's it's evolved as a category as well because it was a pretty boring category. Yeah. You know, it was a category that was you know that, that was London dry gin until Hendricks came along, and Hendricks really changed the game for everyone. I reckon it was, which is the early two thousands only. <clears throat> you know, it launched in Australia, I reckon in maybe oh four. I'm going to guess 05. I know James France will know because I know he, he was um, working at McWilliams when it launched because um, I, I remember going to the launch of Hendricks in Australia. Um, and that said, gin can be fun. Gin can taste a little bit different, you know, with cucumber and a bit of rose, rose water, and it can be a bit quirky. And you know, and I think that really helped take gin out of being slightly daggy and slightly mm. your mum's drink. And and long may it continue to be that way. You know, we 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 have a lot more going for us than vodka does. Vodka only has marketing and frosted bottles, and because it doesn't essentially have any its product story is essentially flimsy, mm. right? I mean, I shouldn't, you know... Sometimes I forget that I also represent the <laughs> distillers' association.
0: Oh, no. I, I keep going, keep going. This is good. <laughs> oh,
2: I've just, just alienated every single person who makes vodka in Australia. But, um, but I think it's a... Um, I just think gin's got a much better story. Because, I mean, if you look at the gin we're making, you know, we're making a Sydney spring gin, right? Which is the thing that we're going to make tomorrow. And you can make a gin that has both, both great botanicals that come from overseas but also has a local story you know we're, we're talking about using tangelos and lemons that are that are local we're talking about jasmine because sydney smells of jasmine in spring um and you know you can make something that is actually much more distinctive and and have a real story and a real product that is um that reflects a place mm. you know the, the, you know you can make a californian gin that uses botanicals that are you know, native to that part of California. We can make an Australian gin, you know, with lemon myrtle or, or, or Tasmanian pepper berries or the native finger limes and that sort of stuff. So gin actually has a genuine story about why the provenance of the gin matters, why a gin from from Tasmania is different, is different from a gin from, you know, Cumbria or uh, or London, you know. And I, I, I think there's a long way to go with that story. And gins, um, you know, I was talking to Eddie Brook the other day, you know, at Brookie's. Mm. But he's the biggest purchaser of native Davidson plums in Australia now. He buys twenty-seven tons of Davidson plums to make his David's. His, make his slow gin, which is basically gin steeped in local David's, local Aussie Davidson plums. So we're creating a supply chain that didn't really exist there. Now there's guys who were growing Davidson plums, and basically had no real commercial market, have now got real customers. Yeah. So you know, there's a similar thing happening in lemon myrtle and finger limes and all those other botanicals that are going into Aussie gins. You know, this we're we're, we're beginning to see quite a bit of, you know, like a a, 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 a vertical happening in, in, in business. You know, where growers are now coming to gin distilleries and saying, hey, listen, we've got a couple of ton of limes, native Aussie limes, you know, and we go, oh yeah, we'd love them. We've got twenty ton of Davidson plums, you know. So it's 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 it could become a really, really valuable industry to to Australia if if it, <laughs> if it doesn't get taxed out of existence, and there I go again. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, like your vodka distillers, uh, we'd be happy that you raised that <laughs> point at this point. So, uh, well played, Stu. Now, yeah. I think there's interesting, I, I like listening to the discussion around storytelling because it's with what we do uh Time Out, you know, it's, um, if it's a good story, people engage with it, right? Like yeah. so say, so, you know, it's helpful, uh, that, and particularly at, right at the moment because of the hyper-local nature of, uh, our habits In a mm. sense uh, Restricted as we are From uh, Visiting the airports And so on And so forth um,
2: Yeah daddy, daddy, daddy. mob with the dog pound Feel the breeze Say you know I'm just Rolling down
1: the street so getting
0: now back With my mind on my money And yeah, my money on my mind
1: So you mentioned the acquisition. Yeah, How did that come about? Was that something, um, I'm assuming you didn't build to sell.
2: Um, take, Can you take us through it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for those who don't know, so Lion bought 50% of Four Pillars 18 months ago. So it was in March uh, 2019. Um, the, I mean, the the, the, the story is, is fairly simple in that we didn't really build to sell. Um, well, we didn't at all. But... We started getting and probably two or three years ago, you know, a couple of little friendly taps on the shoulder, and we none, none of us certainly. So Matt Cameron and myself had had no experience in the mergers and acquisitions of <laughs> drinks businesses or anything like that. But there was a couple of quite like actually seriously interested parties, and one in particular that was a big global drinks business. Um, and you know, they said, "Would you like to come and present to our local Australian team?" And we said, "Sure." And then they said, "Well." Would you guys be interested in going and presenting to our global board? And we're like, "Pardon me, but f- fuck! Wow, yeah, okay, um, that's a bit more serious than we thought." Um, and I, uh, I remember thinking, if, if if this was to come to a point where someone might say, "Well, what would what would happen if we bought you, or bought a quarter of you, or bought a half of you?" I wouldn't even know where to where to begin. So I actually rang a great friend of mine and said, "Look, do you know anyone who's in this mergers and acquisitions business?" And we actually appointed a company called Canterbury Partners out of Melbourne, who just held our hand through the whole thing. And um, Lion came to us. Um, Lion came to us because they were looking at starting, you know, sort of craft spirits. Um, they had an idea around distribution. They had an idea around well we would like to own one or two, you know, craft Australian spirits businesses and yours is the obvious one. You know, we, we, we knew a few I knew a few people at Lion still do, you know, who, who were good guys and we, we liked them as you know, we liked their reputation and everything else. And it just started as a couple of casual drinks about, you know, we're looking at um, distributing spirits and we're looking at starting up a spirits business and what would you guys be interested in? And that's when we were able to say to them, Look, if 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 we were interested in you know, I, I don't think it works as a you just take five percent or ten percent or something like that that wasn't really of, of interest to us because you know one we we thought well we could um we we could get something better out of them if we became real partners and i mean there was no science to it you know maybe we should have been forty nine percent or thirty thirty three percent or I just said well, fifty percent sounds fair i mean that's fitty fitty mate you know you know and and, and, um and it's not oh we were still a majority stakeholder because we owned 51 percent or whatever else so and we just kept talking to them and they were they were genuine and and we really liked the idea that we would be there um their lead spirit, if you like, rather than going into a portfolio where we would be the fifth most important gin. <clears throat> we knew we were going to be, you know, their most important spirit. We knew that they were locally based, you know, that I can talk to the managing director, I can talk to Brindley, you know, around the, uh, James Brindley, around the corner, rather than know that the, my real boss was in London or New York or Mexico or something like that. Um, so we really liked that idea and we really liked what they did in craft beer. So we thought, oh, well, you know, they've got some proper experience in this category of growing craft from just being really small to being a reasonable size and people like them i mean they have a great reputation in the trade you know they're good people um and they they still are good people and and quite a few well not quite a few but at least at least two of the people who worked for me for long periods of time at liquid ideas had gone into lion and so i just you know i said listen you got to tell me that these are good people and they're to be trusted and i get nothing but great feedback about them They're, they're, they're good humans and at the end of the day we wanted to go into business with good humans and it's where we are today and 18 months down the track, you know, I can honestly say we're still, we're still good. You know, I mean, they've faced it, faced problems like, you know, they've had cyber attacks. They've got, mm. you know, beer, beer kegs coming back, you know, 50,000 beer kegs coming back after pubs, you know, shut their doors. They've, they've got all of their own issues. Um, but they're still a good business, and they let us run our own show. And you know, they, they 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 call us to account on a few things, which is actually better. They've helped us become a much a bit more disciplined financially as a business, and right. they're really good partners. And they've opened a few quite a few doors for us as well.
1: And what's changed for you apart from where you live? <laughs>
2: well, there's that obviously. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I bought a Volvo as well. I, I always tell people that. that I bought a Volvo. Um, <laughs> I, um, I question why when you... Yeah, I know, I know. I love, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm a real defender of the Volvo. I reckon it's, I don't know how it's taken me this long in my life not to buy one. Um, look, not much has changed day to day. Really very little. I mean, Cam, Matt and I are still involved in the business every day. We have our weekly phone calls every Friday morning to make sure we're all on the, on track. Um, we have a quarterly board meeting with, with 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 James and maybe someone else from Lion and not that much else has changed we make our own appointments we talk you know we i mean one thing that has has really changed is the caliber of people at vanguard which is our distributor they they, they have really stepped up they are a um, they're a better business today than they were a year ago and they're going to get better again and that's opened up more opportunity for us to sell four pillars to more people mm-hmm. so um it's really like touch wood it's been great for us so far it really has been and i hope people don't think and at no stage have we ever compromised anything we're doing we haven't had to you know we haven't sold out or anything like that you know we're still still making the music that we used to make you know before we became popular <laughs> taylor swift by the way
1: what a new album
2: that was the question i, I read what? i read one of the questions said what's oh, right. your, yeah. what album i well, you know, to them yet but it could be a good taylor segue swift. Away, no I'll that guess. was all that was all i just remember when i talked <laughs> about we're still playing the good music of the taylor swift <laughs>
1: So uh, I guess the concept of brand, product branded venues is not brand new. Yeah, um, and in particular around beer, I guess there's a few examples in. G Rose have got their bar at their distillery. Creatures dining halls. Yep, correct. This is it. This still feels like a very different proposition, I think, mm. to those venues what, what was the idea what was the concept what we're you hoping to achieve
2: i think a couple of things one is it's it's important that it's, you know that it's established that it's not our it's it's not our home distillery like so so hillsville is is the four pillars distillery and this is the four pillars laboratory right and this is where you come to learn how to drink four pillars or come to experience drinking four pillars and that's where you, you experience the making of four pillars it's a really you know big difference I think one of the things we wanted to do here is I wanted we needed this to become a a destination bar for its own sake not just a branded bar if you like Um, which is why the branding you know there was a great review actually in Diffords, Diffords just in the last couple of weeks where it actually said you know it's not easy to make a branded bar feel like it's still a cool bar to go to but the four pillars guys seem to have nailed it and that's that's why there's a there's a little bit of subtle branding but this has got to be a place where you can go to if you want to go out in in surrey hills and you want a really good drink and maybe one or two of your you know mates don't drink um don't drink gin then there's got to have we've got to have a good beer list which we've got we've got to have good wines you've got a champagne you know you've got a cider you know so which all of which we've got um and then you've got to have really really great gin cocktails which which we have and you know if you want a gin and tonic you want a great gin cocktail you want a classic or you want one of jimmy's you know new 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 gins you can have that um and it also was always intended to be somewhere where we could work with the trade about teaching them how to use four pillars so there's a bit less of that probably happening now than than we had hoped simply because hospitality is in such a you know, difficult environment at the moment. But we, we we are doing it. We're bringing bar groups in here and showing them how to make you know showing them how to make great drinks with Four pillars. Showing them what's in four pillars that makes it a better gin and easier to explain for them to their own customers. So we've done quite a bit of that with bar people in Sydney. The hope was that we'd be flying, you know, flying bartenders in from all over the world. They might do a takeover for a couple of days, um, and and then we would have them teaching our, you know, our friends in the trade in Sydney about you know the great drinks that they're making in Singapore or London or anywhere else. Um, and then there was always this idea where, when we had the still there that we would, you know, we would just take people on fun masterclasses and fun, fun, fun ways to show them about four pillars. And and it's it's about. People, it's about building the brand love. It's about showing people that Four Pillars is 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 a bit different. Four Pillars is a bit more fun. Four Pillars is a bit, um, you know, we're happy to happy to show you what we do and talk honestly about what it is we are. Um, and then you know, and, and, and then at the end of the day, it's just going to be a ripping fun place to have a drink. Because at the end of the day, to get people coming back. This has got to be a bar where they don't feel intimidated or they don't feel sold to, mm. you know. Which is one of the, the the difficulties with you know that's one of the things actually. Little Creatures Bank got bang on right. Yeah. If you think about the original yeah. Frio place, it, you didn't. You know, it was great beer, but it was also amazing pizza, great music, awesome vibe. Like it was just brilliant, and that's that's probably the
0: benchmark of an owned hospitality venue still this you know yeah it became the benchmark for every craft beer brand that launched thereafter wasn't it you know like hospitality probably still is yeah i think so
2: i mean it's still going great apparently and i mean i know that there there are plenty of other i mean a lot of beer brands are doing this um, executing something like not dissimilar to this uh brew dog are doing a lot in the uk obviously i see a lot of those brew dog and um and and increasingly trying to do it here and in other markets as well um and and i guess we're doing it in gin and we, I, I don't really know how many people are doing it in spirits I, i'm struggling to think of them at the yeah. moment it's not like there's a hendrix bar in london or a bombay i mean a lot of them are putting a lot of effort into their homes now one of the things that we always wanted to do was have a really strong hospitality offering at our home um because we wanted to always to bring people into the into the four pillars world um, we always thought that was super important, which was always what we what our intention was at Um and I think some of the bigger brands in, in gin, in particular, are now realizing ship. We need a we need a sexy home to show people. So I know Bombay Sapphire have done that recently, and Hendrix are going to be doing it, and Tanqueray are doing it. So I, I I don't think it's um you know Kenobi are doing it in, in, in Kyoto. They're just opening their beautiful place now. So I think there's a bit a bit of that going on. Um, but I just hope again, you know, as I said before, I just we just need to stay ahead.
0: It's fascinating. Kinda of becomes the authenticator of the brand, like in a yeah post digital world. Like because there's so much trickery that you can deploy through clever marketing. Uh, but the one thing you can't hide is if you fuck this up. Like yep. you've got to be able to make sure that you can deliver Well will this immediately immediately will infiltrate
2: digital and social, right? If people come here and get a second-rate experience, it's the first... Don't worry, they're not going to be afraid to tell people about that. Went to Four Pillars, it was a bit shit, Uh, people weren't very friendly, the drinks were overpriced and and crappy and um, the bloke behind the bar is a wanker. Boom. That is brand suicide right there. So we've got to be able to make sure that we don't offer that. Equally, if they go, you know didn't really know much about Four Pillars, went there, drinks were awesome, Mm. food was great, people were friendly, music was bang on, staff seemed like to be actually enjoying themselves despite the fact they're behind black masks. Yeah. this is, a great, this is a brand I think I'm going to learn to love. They, they don't say to themselves, oh, my God, I'm going to fall in love with this brand. What a great brand activation it is. They just go, well, that was a cool place. That Four Pillars seems good. Next time they walk into a shop, hopefully they buy Four Pillars or next time they go into a bar that's not ours. You've got to remember this is only one bar in the world, so they're going to spend mm. a lot more time in other bars. They go, I might try that Four Pillars stuff before. That's a great memory. You keep lobbying segues out there.
1: Are you... Going to open more of these? Uh, I think you you mentioned last time we spoke about it that you you would see these (laughs) happening in other cities when other cities are accessible. But look, we would have...
2: I think this... um, I think that we would have... We would have... No, let's say that. We would have liked to. I think that we would like to have done this in other markets. I don't know how likely that is in the next few years simply because... Who wants to... Who's going to open a new bar, an expensive new bar in London anytime soon? You know, it's just... Or Singapore or Brisbane or... Ah, gee. It's it's, it's tough. And mm. it's expensive. Yeah. I um, mean, And running hospitality venues when you can only run it 40% capacity, um, but you still probably have to overstaff it, particularly in the early days, particularly because you're trying to do a brand play as well as a, a, a bar play. Yeah. Um, Going to be tough to make this make enough money for me to be able to justify to anyone that we should hmm. have another crack in a market going back to what we said it right at the beginning in a market that we know less well than this. Yeah,
1: mm. it' uh, expensive, not in terms of your food and beverage because it is very well priced, but this place does feel expensive. You have not spent any out. expense. It is it, like I, it, for those listening who have not been here. Um, I would highly encourage a visit' because yeah, it's a it a very it's beautiful. a
2: very beautiful bar yeah. and, and you know and that, that was on brief. You know this and, and the reason it's called Eileen's bar rather than four pillars is because it needs to be able to stand up with its own identity. Yeah. And, you know I think it's really important that it's called Eileen's you know people some people will come here just thinking that it's a cool yeah cool no, no idea. C- cool gin cocktail bar. they don't really need to know that it's four pillars. And Eileen's was the first still. Eileen's that still in that in, still, in, yeah. So right. Eileen is the still named after Matt Jones's mum, which is the still that's actually in situ here. So it became an obvious name for the bar. Some people think it's come on, Eileen. Some people think, you know, there's a million reasons why they think it is. But yeah, Eileen was our first ever experimental still. So that that will make forty five bottles of gin at at a in a batch, and that's yeah, right. what we'll be doing, you know, tomorrow for people who want to pay proper money, they went, they, and spent God knows why, three hours with me and Wes on a Saturday, you know, they can come and watch us make a gin from
0: start to finish, and we'll make 45 bottles of that gin tomorrow. Well, this Father's Day this weekend, so I'm pretty sure you'd be booked up, wouldn't you? Yeah, we're booked up. <laughs> 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 Stu, it's been a great chat. Uh, we want to roll into our standard five. Standard five. And, uh, five at five. We will we'll <laughs> do these in the order given to you in the show notes, so no improvisation here okay um favorite book that you've recently read or podcast that you listen to i like um i'm i
2: i've got to admit i like uh i listen to the squiz every morning which is a great little podcast that gives me the news in about nine minutes it's really cool they're, they're great they're good mates of mine and they're, they're great I also i think annabelle Crab and lee sales are, are, are awesome i don't know why i like listening you know i, I like um their um their podcast is fantastic um and I'm reading a beautiful book at the moment, but I can't remember. It's, it's called The Hearts. Um, um, it's it's an Irish book. It's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. Should
2: have done my rest. That's amazing. <laughs> um, well, oh, and the Great. Can I TV? Yeah, yeah. The Great so. of the Great on Netflix. Of it's the it's, Great. No, it's called The Great. The Great. It's uh, it's uh, it's done by the um by the same um. It's it's on Netflix about Catherine the Great. It's hilarious. It's quite rude, um, and it's it's honestly one of the best TV shows I've watched in the last year. It's called The Great
0: on Netflix. That's 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 your that's that's your big tip right there. Big tip for binge watching this weekend. Sounds good. Yep. Uh, so, favorite album or artist right now? Okay.
2: Thank you. Well, you see, this is my Taylor Swift
0: opportunity. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So first of all, I was listening to the San Cisco, <laughs> awesome Australian
2: band. Dropped a new album this morning, and I am so on the scene, right? <laughs> it's the advantage of having a 16-year-old daughter, and one of the bar staff is actually pissing herself right now, laughing at me, trying to be cool. Um, San Cisco, awesome Perth band, dropped a new album this morning, and it's fantastic. I listened to it as I walked in here this morning. But Taylor Swift's Folklore is a masterpiece, it's, I've been hearing it, that from random mate, people. You're such it? a great album. I have been obsessed. So when it, the day it came out, I came in here and I'm like, oh my god, Taylor Swift's new <laughs> album is incredible. Not necessarily a Taylor Swift fan, right? Do have a, a daughter and a son who've come through the old Taylor Swift, and then she had those two average albums, <laughs> Reputation and Lover. Didn't like them. Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh. well, she's off. She's gone. She was just good as a country and western singer when she was 16. The new album, bit of Bonnie Ver in it, recorded with a guy from the National, but it's a masterpiece. It's 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 genius. Yeah. Folklore, it's called by oh, Taylor Swift. Great, recommended here.
0: Um, a favorite drink right now?
2: My favorite drink right now. It's a very good question. There's a, dr- there's a drink here called Money Trees because I just want to shake them down right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: uh, that's Jimmy's, and I love. I am I am obsessed. We've, we've 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 just launched this new um this new gin um called Olive Olive Leaf Gin uh and the martini that we're making with that at the moment is is my go-to but you've it's you've got to stick to a two martini max i've i've had a couple of nights in here where i've had more than two martinis and they have uh, it has not ended well so um those are my two favorite drinks if i have to have anything that's not that i'd think pinot noir from giant steps great because i don't want to sound like a sort of wanker who only promotes his own gins giant steps pinot from the yarra valley awesome rockford Oh, Rockford Basket Press Shiraz, always good. That is my but number one. We are, we are very much on the Pinot train at home in Australia at the moment, in, in 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 my house at the moment. The wife's like, oh, do we have to have those big Barossa Shirazes? I said, no, I'm fine. I can easily smash that bottle on my own. <laughs> so, <laughs> we don't have to share that.
0: Um, so you've got a ticket anywhere in the world, imagine that, and you've, you could choose a venue to go to. You don't need to fly, by the way. You might be... Able to mm. just take a walk to it, but what's your favorite venue? Do you know where I'm going to go?
2: I'm going to walk to Frankie's in Sydney uh, on Hunter Street because Frankie's has for the ever since it was has opened has always signified just fun, mm. raucousness, silliness. I always leave my credit card there. I haven't been for yeah this year, um, and it's always it's always our great times I don't need to go to London or or Norway or the US apart from the fact I can't frankly remember anywhere that I really love there except for Dishoom in London I really want to go back to Dishoom which is my favorite Indian restaurant in in London there's about five of them in the in the UK and they're awesome I want to go to Dishoom and I want to go to Frankie's pizza by the slice it's still if open. they'll have me because frankie's famously doesn't let often often i often get you know suggested that i should leave frankie's at various <laughs> times in the night so if, they, if they're if they'll have me back i'll go back to, i'll go back there
1: they're still open you just have to sit down to watch the
0: music
2: i know which it just it's doesn't
0: it's just not the same i know well we're all having to adapt aren't we so final question here Stu. who in the industry inspires you most I don't know whether this is the right, uh, uh, look, uh, a lot of people
2: might say, but Justin Hems and that, his Merivale group, that is absolute, utterly world-class hospitality in this city and what the risks he's prepared to take, the the commitment he is to, and his group has to excellence is phenomenal. Like, I mean, just having gone to Mimi's for the first time just recently and had a look at what they've done at the Coogee Pav, the fact that. The most expensive and one of the most unique and one of the most extraordinary restaurants in Australia probably ever is in Coogee. (laughs) Surprises the hell out of anyone who's grown up in Sydney. (laughs) Um, I just, you know, I've just moved around the corner from Toddy's and uh, I, I was just saying that... The thing I love about Toddy's is that ability to to have schooners of furphy in an old school Australian pub, and then go and have a really sophisticated, delicious Italian feed out the back, and then go back and have a few more schooners of furphy <laughs> <laughs> afterward. And it's 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 uh, and and the diversity of their offering, right? You know, they're great cocktail bars, they're beautiful, you know, Freds, and I mean, I'm 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 in awe of of, of of what they do, and I don't think. Sometimes we've always tried to take our signals or, or, or get a, or learn our lessons from hospitality operators in New York or London. Apart from the fact that that's really difficult now, I don't think we should ever ignore what is in our own backyard and that
0: mm. that, that, that that's world-class stuff, no question. All very good answers. We'll uh, dig up the book that you're halfway through reading, can't remember the title of, the Irish one called Heart. <laughs> My Heart's... <laughs> <laughs> if
2: you just if you run the outro long enough, I'll be able to Google it, it we'll put it in the show notes. We'll
0: put in the show notes. Well, Stu Greger, yeah. thanks so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on the opening of this venue here in Surrey Hills, and uh, you know, for the many people you inspire through giving shit a go, uh, even in these challenging times, mm. we thank you. The Hearts in Invis- <laughs> Invisible
2: Furies by John Boyne. I just googled Hearts Irish Novel <laughs> Are you sure that's it? Yeah It's really big It's really long now I'm only halfway through But look Hey thanks guys And thanks for you you guys I mean both of you Are doing superb jobs as well Michael All that stuff you're doing With the Nighttime Association Check, check, check Bloody important Because you know This industry needs, needs As much support As it can get at the moment And Luke yeah. thanks for You know Thanks for finding me A couple of good staff
0: Well, I hope they're good One of them starts on Monday mate <laughs> We'll find out Well gents It's Friday Let's close this one out cheers mm.
1: mate yeah awesome he's um I, I love him he's, he's just obviously extremely passionate um extremely knowledgeable, highly experienced. I mean, his background, I love the fact that he started in wine, um, obviously just has a sort of a hospitality and a beverage DNA that runs through him, which um, it's great to see him, I think, start that way. I, I, probably, I didn't know too much about that part of his background prior to the chat today, in all honesty. Um, and I had a real misconception around the fact that I thought they'd just built this Four Pillars brand as a brand and, and sort of borrowed on his expertise as a marketer and as a as a communication specialist, but it's, it's obviously so far from the truth, it's not even funny.
0: Uh, I particularly enjoy the way he puts his foot in his mouth, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, it's a, it's a in, a, in a sense, I suppose, I see a bit myself for that. Like, you know, he calls it how he sees it. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, they're a pretty amazing founding team, obviously. Um, Matt, we both know. Um, I'm not so familiar with Cam, but like, um, you know, I think like many businesses put a good team together with a good plan, good product. And then that's just that aspiration to excellence, isn't it? Mm uh, yeah, I
1: think the, um, you know, the, the part where he was just talking about what it takes to succeed in a business and what you need to do, um, we both obviously, obviously stopped and clocked that during the conversation, um, Silence fell across the table as, as we were thinking about that. But I, I've thought about that a lot since we recorded that conversation and I think that above many other things will be the key takeaway that people will take from that chat.
0: I think you're right.